All right, I'm going to read our scripture. It is from Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of all of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How, then, can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray. For we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Last week, this place was packed. This week, everybody went to super spreader Thanksgiving events and festivals, and some people stayed home. Thank you for those of you who stayed home, and we're so glad for those of you who are here tonight. Um, my name is Keith Case. I'm a pastor here at Providencia. And if you didn't know it, you just revisited or watched a Rivers Reuniting uh, concert right here uh, up front. Um, Danny and Eric and John and Brent were all in a band, are all in a band, are in a band or were in a band. We're not sure. Still, still in the scales right now. Um, called Rivers, and they were all up here playing. It was so great to have them uh, up here, especially uh, Eric. Eric is um, kind of a legend in West Palm, born and raised here. Um, he, he was an EMT. He, he grew a church to like 900 people or 1,000 or something, and then uh, this mega church tried to recruit him out of Nashville, and thank God they didn't get him, uh, and now he's in a project in Lake Worth with Lake Osborne Prez, and we're super excited that he's uh, still here helping us build uh, as the church united across the city of West Palm Beach. Um, he also has a VW van ministry. If any of you are ever in need of a Volkswagen van, my wife in particular, she just loves VW buses. You could go sit in his van. He charges very little money for that. Um, and but also one thing about Eric that some of you may not know is that um, Eric also started a nonprofit to help churches in the area serve our city. And so that this man, one thing I know about him is he's always had a heart uh, to serve those on the margins, those who are uh, suffering in poverty, um, those who in many ways are cultural put uh, on the sides. So we're so grateful, Eric, for you being here tonight with us uh, and joining us. You are a part of this family. Um, last week, 
We had um, Brittany Melton speaking. I don't know if you remember that or not, but Dr. Brittany Melton was here. Yep. Yep. And um, she spoke of Proverbs 31 and gave us a little bit different image, hopefully, uh, of maybe what you've seen uh, when you think of Proverbs 31. And uh, she gave us this, this image of embodied wisdom. And before she preached, I, I gave a little quote from Tim Keller that Tim Keller said, if you want to be about wisdom, if your life is truly going to be marked by wisdom, then you will be deeply and passionately involved in justice. And some of you, as you went home to Thanksgiving tables this uh, weekend or this past week, uh, some of you who are joining us online, who are at Thanksgiving tables, you probably had moments of wondering, where is this conversation going to go? Is this when I say something to my family regarding some of the bigger conversations that are happening in our country and in our world? But how do we as a people, how do we as a people stay invested in all of our life, not just at the Thanksgiving dinner table, not just on a, a week where there's a, um, a protest or on a Facebook post or an Instagram? How do we stay deeply committed and passionate about justice in our world. And that that is what embodied wisdom looks like. Um, tonight, as we uh, turn to our new text, there are some things that we need to really think about as we think about this crossover into the Advent season. The season that we're entering into called Advent, the season of waiting. Um, and as we come to this text tonight, to realize that this text is being written by a people who are in the minority. They are a people who are uh, being pressed down by an empire called the Babylonian Empire. Uh, these are people who will be enslaved. These are people who will lose their homes. They will lose their land. They will uh, lose their families, some of them. Uh, this is being written by a people who are suffering oppression. It is one of them writing to them, the prophet Isaiah. And what's so important that we remember that, as Brian Stevenson reminds us, if you really want to understand the other side, you have to get proximate to the pain. You have to be close to it. Close to it. Our three points tonight are crying out for heaven here, waiting for grace, and remembering the hands of the artist. Crying, waiting, remembering. Um, nothing has prepared me more for Advent than my drive here to church tonight. I was following the slowest car that has ever driven down South Olive. It was one of those cars that you think is getting ready to take a left or a right, and then they don't. And then they keep going. And you keep thinking they're going to. And then they actually did something that, in my opinion, is actually, ask my kids, it's actually like it should be a ticketed thing. But they, the lady slowed down for speed bumps. In my family, we see speed bumps as ramps. And if you're in the back of our van on the way home from church, even, there's sometimes complaints. But some people actually catch air in the back. Uh, including my wife. She's known to get, get a little, you know, some feet up in the air. So we have, that, that really did prepare me. But, but truly what has prepared me for Advent is waiting, waiting. 
And so, so often I have found myself waiting in story group, waiting with men in their tears. As tears come, as, as the longing surfaces, waiting with them in it, not hurrying off from it. Uh, so often it happens with me, with my clients uh, as a counselor, that we enter into these spaces where the tears, the emotions come, and we find ourselves waiting. Over the last four years, as we've uh, entered into the conversation, as Jordan has led us in that space, and we have heard stories, and we have seen tears, and we have waited, probably nothing actually more than those conversations has helped me understand what tonight is about. Waiting. Waiting. Hoping and waiting for a new day. Hoping and waiting for freedom to come. I was um, listening to Michael Cusack's uh, podcast called Restoring the Soul. Uh, he's the author of the book Surfing for God. And his guest was Dr. Barbara L. Peacock. She's a black woman who wrote uh, Soul Care in African-American Practice. And she says that soul care for African-Americans started in the bottom of the slave ship. That that is where true soul care started. That that is the place it was born in the African-American experience. And I believe it was James Cone who said that the people on the deck of the ship had a different perception of who God was compared to those in the belly of the ship. And as Stevenson, as Barbara, as James Cone, as these people, as Jesus himself would invite us to, the belly of the ship, to come there, to come close to the pain and the suffering of the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, if we want to understand what waiting and hoping is all about. Isaiah is writing from the belly of the ship. He is crying out from a deeper place than Christmas wish lists. He is crying out from a place tonight that is below the deck. Deeper, not only out there, but in here. To not just engage that poverty, but engage this poverty. To engage the places where we are enslaved in ourselves. That Isaiah is calling us to this place to go down, to go down. In verses 1 through 3, this first section, this is the crying out for heaven here. And he uses this word, he's, he's teaching us, Isaiah is teaching us to pray. If you, in many ways, if you compared this prayer to the Lord's Prayer, you'll see that they are similar. That they, they are similar uh, in, in the way that they are themed out. And, and Isaiah, uh, this text, chapter 64, is different from many of the other texts in Isaiah because it is written as a prayer. It is actually a lament that Isaiah has given to us. And it's crying out. That first word, rend, in verse 1, kara in Hebrew, means to enlarge, to tear, or to tear apart. A prayer that could be both asking for God to enlarge heaven, to bring it here, to expand it, but also to tear it apart. 
a prayer that is engaged in both of those things at the same time. It reminds me of that song by U2 that they sang that actually was just singing Psalm uh, 40. How long, how long? Crying out, Lord, come down. And at the same time, crying in such a way that it feels like it's tearing heaven apart. That Isaiah is teaching us to pray this way. To rend heaven, God. To rend heaven and come down. In verse 1, so that the mountains will tremble. We're reminded of Mount Sinai with Moses and God meeting Moses on Mount Sinai in the powerful presence of God. And then in verse 2, come down like that again. Flashes back to the book of Exodus of God coming down and making his name known among his enemies. Like Moses before Pharaoh, I'm here because I am sent me. And he sent me with a message to let my people go. And the nation, starting with Pharaoh, at the end of the story would be quaking. That this small minority group of people would make a stand. And that God would redeem them from their slavery, from this empire, from their chariots and their horses and their power and their machine guns and their missiles, that God would set this small group of people free. Make your name known. To make yourself known, to be known, not just at a cerebral level, but at a holistic embodied level. That they would experience God. That, that word know in the Old Testament often is referred to as sexual intimacy. For somebody to know somebody else means that they have had sexual intercourse. They've been that intimate with them. And that Isaiah is come asking God, God, come down, be intimately known. Not just to us, the oppressed, but to our enemies. Let our enemies intimately know you. And I can think of no other picture than that of Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, put there by the empire, completely vulnerable, naked, stretched out, no defense, no lawyers, accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he is exposed to the world. Intimately, his heart exposed to the world. And it says the earth quaked, the earth shook. That is how intimately God would answer Isaiah's prayer. That he would be known like this. In verse 3, he repeats this idea, when you did awesome things, and that's a reference back to the Red Sea, to the redemption, when you came down and you redeemed your people, be known like that again, God. Remember, Israel has been taken captive by this empire, and they need redemption again. They're crying out for this awesome thing to be done. Redeem us, Lord. When heaven comes down, what happens? 
is so important for us because so often we think of heaven as this place of escape that we're going to go to and we're going to escape and, and, you know, maybe the angels in the cloud, the Charmin angels or something up in the clouds, but that, that we're praying for heaven to come down. And what happens when heaven comes here on earth? According to Moses' experience, what happens? According to what Isaiah is asking us to pray for, what happens? As according to what Jesus asks us to pray for, what happens? is that people are set free, that slaves are set free, that prisoners are visited in jail, that brokenhearted people, that brokenhearted communities, communities that have been oppressed are bound up, that they're, they're binded up, their hearts are healed because he heals the brokenhearted. This is Isaiah 61 quoting as, as Jesus goes through that, his call on his life. That this is the call of his community for the awesome things of heaven to come down here on earth. And then in verse 3, before you, before your face, they would tremble. Before your face, they would tremble. And I would just ask you to close your eyes and to imagine the face of God. To imagine God's presence before you. And what would make you tremble? What would make you tremble? For the longest time in my life, and I'm still healing from it, is it his anger that I think that God is coming to bring his punishment against me. And that's what would make me tremble. But listen to what Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 33 verse 9 says about what makes people tremble in the face of God. Then this city, the city of God, will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor (coughs) before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. That's wild. That the world will tremble at God's generosity and at his kindness. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, that sometimes the greatest threat that somebody can bring into my life is gentleness. That's what makes me really come apart. I expect the anger, but it's the gentleness. It's the gentleness that really makes me tremble. I think he's named after the prophet John the Baptist who we find in the New Testament. I don't know that for sure, but his name is John Baptiste. Not Baptiste, but Baptiste. It's it's a derivative of Baptiste in French. And he is also the director, the lead band guy for the um, late night show. Uh, Do you guys know who I'm talking about with Stephen Colbert? And uh, he is also the director of the Harlem uh, Jazz Museum. He is the creative director there. He's from Louisiana. His band is called Stay Human. 
That's the name of his band. He also does solar performances. This man is an incredible artist. The New York Times did a piece on him in 2015, and they said, what does your Sunday look like? What does your Sunday look like on, uh, week to week? He says, I sleep in because I work so much during the week, and then I start off my morning centering. It's what I do every morning. I get up and I sit on the floor, cross my legs, and I breathe. And then I get on my knees and I read my Bible and I pray. It's what keeps me grounded. It's what keeps me embodied. And John is this incredible, incredible artist living at high capacity in, in Manhattan. And he says that it's that centering, that grounding that I do every single morning that keeps me close to the ground. At the ground is where he cries out. At the ground is where he waits. And in many ways, I would say that he is living out what Willie Jennings calls us to as a people as God's people, he said, we should see ourselves as those who always understood what life was like from the margins, who understood what it meant to be an outsider, and who lived in ways that are always inclusive, built on an abiding humility and a sense of grace. This is how we wait. We wait on our knees, close to the ground. And this is our second point, waiting for grace. Waiting for grace. <clears throat> that in verse four, this act, that God acts for those who wait. And the root word uh, for, for wait, it, it comes from the word for piercing. Uh, not in the sense of like getting pierced in the side, but in getting piercings like in your ears or your nose, or your eyebrow, or wherever you get a piercing, that, that piercing, this type of waiting is, is an adhering to, that we're putting it on and it's staying there. We're not, we're not letting it leave us, that that's the kind of hope we're having as we wait. That's the kind of waiting we're doing. We're not leaving it behind. We're taking it with us. In verse 5, who remember your ways that you don't forget those who remember your ways. And what are his ways? What are his ways? As we go through even Isaiah 61, as I mentioned just before, it's remembering the poor, the brokenhearted, the slave, that God hears their cries, that God intervenes, that God shows up in those spaces, and that this is the way of Jesus. If you want to know what the way of God is, if you want to know what the way of heaven is, what heaven looks like here on earth, God calls us through Scripture to look at Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself says, if you want to see the Father, look at me. If you want to see what heaven looks like, look at me. And that that is the way that we are called to remember. But Isaiah gets kind of dark here on us. And he says that though God shows up for those people who remember his ways, we haven't remembered 
the ways. That we haven't waited. That we've continued to sin. Um, one of the ways my professor uh, describes sin is that uh, sin is us trying to create heaven here on earth on our own. And you, you think about this uh, in the life, for example, of addiction. When we try to create heaven here on earth on our own, and it ends up destroying us eventually. Some of our addictions are a little more manageable, a little more culturally acceptable, but but trying to create it on our own, for our own, and that it ends up ultimately destroying us. And Isaiah is saying we have sinned in this way. And if you understand the, the, the anger of God, if we want to say it that way, is that what would make God angry would be when the poor and the marginalized are forgotten. That ultimately the number one thing that Israel was rebuked for in the Old Testament was not caring for the widows and orphans, was not caring for those who are marginalized. His his anger for injustice is greater than ours. But he says we've sinned in these ways and we can continue to sin in these ways. And we have become unclean, unclean like filthy rags, like work rags. Uh, in, in our house, they get kept in the shed outside. I don't take those rags back in the house because the gas and the oil and the grease is so intense that it literally would break our washing machine. That these rags are filthy, that they're not going to be ever cleaned again. They're just going to be used to clean up more messes. And that we end up shriveling up like a leaf, swept away by our sins, lifeless as we chase after, trying to make heaven here on earth for ourselves. What a turn here. Isaiah has started off saying, Lord, you remember those who remember your ways, but we haven't remembered your ways. We haven't remembered your ways. So why is Isaiah still crying out? Because Isaiah has learned what it means to wait on grace. He's learned that there's more that is coming. That grace is coming. Together we are called as God's people to cry out to confess, and to wait for grace to show up. And that's what we do here week after week on Sunday nights. But it's also what we do together Monday through Saturday as his body throughout the week. That we wait with each other, that we cry out with each other for God to show up, for grace to show up. That this Christmas, as we move towards that holiday, that celebration, that in this Advent season specifically, we are called not to chase after the greatest deals, but after a new depth in each other, to go below the deck, 
that Christmas that we're longing, waiting for is found there more than it is up here. Friends, we have a God who loves comeback stories, who loves the stories of the underdogs. And he has made us, I would say, in a way that we resonate with them too. I am addicted, thankfully, to Michael Milliken, uh, to this show called Blacklist. And I started watching season one, and I thought that that was the only season. And there's 22 episodes in season one. So in a couple of days, I powered through those 22 seasons thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. Like, I'm going to get to the end of this. Like, but man, what a long, like, time of waiting, waiting, waiting. The next time I saw Michael, I told her I was on episode 16. I was so excited that I was almost done. And she said, Keith, there's seven seasons. Seven seasons. Seven times 22. The math, right? The the hours that I'm going to have to watch the show. But the thing that keeps me going. The thing that keeps you going when you're watching Stranger Things, the thing that keeps you going when you're watching Goonies, I saw that hand in the back, Maddie. Yeah, she got pumped for Stranger Things. Uh, In Star Wars, whatever the show, so much of the time, the theme is about the comeback. I mean, who could forget Ted Lasso? The comeback stories. Oftentimes, like Ted Lasso, we we talk about him in the sports world. Some commentators say sports is the only place in America where you have like free reign of religion. People talk religiously all the time. Hail Marys, you know, they 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 integrate this faith thing into the football field, which is a little weird for me, but whatever. The point is that comeback stories. We cry out to God. We wait and we remember. That this is the God who writes comeback stories. That this is the God who, as Isaiah says, we have to remember that we are the works of his hand. In the prayer, he's actually saying it to God. God, we are, you're the potter, we're the clay, we're the works of your hands. Don't forget us, see us, remember us. But Isaiah is also doing something because he knows God is going to remember He's doing something for us. He's saying to us, don't don't forget. Remember the hands of the potter. Remember the hands of this artist. Remember that this God, the way he likes to write stories, is with redemption, is with the comeback. God is not done with you. He's not done with us. That we are calling out, we are crying out as his people, and we are waiting and remembering, remembering his hands, the hands of the artist. That he's not only the hands that created us, he's also the hands that, as we talked about earlier, were pierced. Pierced for our transgressions, that we would never forget. We would never forget 
the way he loves, the way he comes after us, even when we're hiding. That is what we are waiting for. His continual coming after us. And that is his promise, that he will never stop. Let us pray.